today we're going to wrap up the series called Delivered to Dwell uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. And if, if you remember when we began this series 10 weeks ago, it was in the book of Exodus, the beginning uh, of Exodus. And, and the people of God were in this place where they were under slavery in Egypt. And their experience of, of God and some of their circumstances didn't match up with what God had promised. And we, we looked at some of the tension there and how we can view God as this God we can trust who's sovereign and active, even we, when we don't experience that. And we saw over and over how God was sovereign and faithful. And he raises up Moses, if you remember, and Moses delivers the people out of Egypt, just this awesome display of God's power. And then we looked at how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, how he began to dwell with them in the wilderness so that it wasn't, they, were just, they weren't just delivered so that they could kind of go off and live their, their lives as they saw fit, but God delivered them for a purpose, to dwell with them in intimacy with his presence as they entered into the promised land. And um, you know, even over their grumbling and their complaining, God continued to be faithful and continued to be good to his people. Ultimately, you know, we looked at the Israelites. They had to wander in the desert for 40 years because some of their unfaithfulness and some of their disbelief in God, they disqualified themselves from experiencing that uh, fulfillment of the promise uh, initially. And, and now, after wandering in the desert for an entire generation, for 40 years, uh, the new generation, the kids of the Exodus generation that were delivered out of Egypt, are on the cusp of entering into this promised land that they've been hearing about for 400 years. It's a pretty big deal. And, and Moses, their leader, is going to uh, start to talk to them about some things, kind of have a heart to heart about what they need to be thinking about as they get ready for this. So um, Deuteronomy, just to give you a quick um, uh, you know, thought on what this book is about, is basically Moses giving a series of speeches to this new generation of the people of God saying, you need to be faithful to the covenant. Uh, you need to be more faithful than your parents were. This is kind of what the book of Deuteronomy is about. So the first few chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses recaps the story of Israel so far, kind of like I just did. He kind of recaps, hey, this is all that God has done. Like, let's remember how God has delivered us. Let's, let's see how God has given us his presence to dwell with us. Let's remember these things. Let's remember how even in the midst of our rebellion, God has, been, uh, has shown his grace and his faithfulness to us. And Moses just calls on them, hey, let's be faithful your parents weren't faithful. You got to be faithful to the covenant. I almost think it's like if, uh, you know, has anyone been to Disney, Disney World? Anyone been to Disney World? Um, it's almost like a, a parent taking their child to Disney World and describing all of the things that are about to be awesome. And they're just like, this is going to be so good. You're going to see Mickey. It's going to be great. We're going to ride Space Mountain. Like everything's going to be great, but you got to stay with me. You got to obey me. You got to stay close by my side. Otherwise there could be some danger. You might get lost. You might get scared. That's almost like what Moses is doing here. Guys, the promised land is going to be so epic. It's filled with this fertile land that you can't even imagine. God's going to dwell with us, but we got to stay with God. We got to follow what God has asked us uh, to do in, in this covenant. So that's kind of what Moses does for the first five chapters. And then we get to chapter six, and Moses gives the people kind of the, the one line. Hey, this, if you can hang your hat on one thing to remember as we prepare for this journey. This is what it is. And Moses gives them what the Jewish people called the Shema. That's the Jewish word for, for this text. And we'll jump into that as we, as we go through. And this is just one of the most central teachings for the people of God for thousands of years. Uh, even today, this may be one of the most, if not the most central teaching uh, in the entire Bible that Jesus kind of tells us again, hey, this is what it's about. This is what you're created for. So let's jump in. Here's what I want to do. I want to dig into the verses a little bit that we're going to look at and kind of unpack some of the meaning that, that's hidden there uh, and then kind of see, okay, how can we bring this to our context today um, as, we, as we leave today? So 
Deuteronomy 6, here's my big point. Here's the, the big thing I want to communicate today, if I could boil it down to one sentence. Humanity was created for one thing, unrelenting devotion to God in every phase of life. Uh, that, that's the point we're, we're going to try and drive home today. Unrelenting devotion to God in every phase of life. That's what all of us were created for. Whether we know it or not, that's the purpose that God created us for. So let's uh, jump into Deuteronomy 6, page 87. If you're using one of our Bibles, we're going to start in verse 1 and, uh, and go through verse 6. This is Moses speaking. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, and this is where we're going to camp out today. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the word of God out of Deuteronomy 6. So I want to start in verse 4 and just kind of work through this real slowly and kind of break down some of the hidden meaning in this text that might be so familiar for a lot of us if you've been in a church context before. So let's start in verse 4. It says, hear, O Israel. So before we can even get past the first couple of words, we need to stop and talk about a few things. So the text is called the Shema because the word uh, hear in Hebrew is Shema. That, that's what it means. Hear is, that, that's the, how we translate it. Um, and, and the word Shema has such a deeper and wider meaning than just listening or like hearing audible sounds. Um, the Hebrew language is called uh, what's called a word poor language. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. I'd never heard of that before. It's a word poor language. In other words, it has 8,000 words in the whole language, uh, whereas English has like 400,000 words. So you, you can kind of see how all of the words in Hebrew carry nuance and, and all these different contexts to them. And especially verbs in Hebrew uh, carry a, um, an idea of action, of response, of, of effect, rather than just mental activity. So, so many words like Shema have this breadth of meaning. It encompasses this whole spectrum of ideas that include listening and hearing, but it also includes obeying and responding to what you have heard. Uh, this word is actually tra translated obey uh, a lot of the time in the Bible. Uh, pretty much any time you read the scriptures, if you see the word hear, it's almost synonymous with the word obey. That's why uh, the scriptures talk about David asking God to hear his prayer. When David asks God to hear his prayer, he's not accusing God of being indifferent or deaf. He's, he's asking God to respond, uh, to, to act in some way. Hear my prayer, act on behalf of what I am praying. This is why Jesus often says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, it's not just about hearing, it's about moving you towards action and response. So for the Hebrew people, um, to hear is to do. That's kind of what I want us to show. And I thought about um, this with my dog this week. Um, I have a golden retriever puppy. Me and my wife, Virginia, bought a golden retriever puppy this summer. He's awesome. Um, you can check my Instagram if you want, just like the best pictures ever. Um, but uh, he's this great little puppy, and he's super obedient most of the time. But uh, sometimes he's not because he's a puppy, right? And he gets really distracted. So sometimes he'll be sitting there, or sometimes he's just stubborn. And I'll, I'll ask him to do something. 
And, you know, um, I don't know if you ever have that picture where a dog just kind of looks at you and like turns its head, and, like doesn't do what you say, but you're like, are you not hearing me? Like, I want you to come to the kitchen. And the problem is not, my dog is not deaf. He doesn't have a hearing problem. He's six months old. The problem is that my words are not moving him to action to come to the kitchen, right? That, that's the picture of, of hearing. And parents do this a lot. Maybe some of the parents in the room, you, you might tell your child, hey, maybe this was you when you were little. And your mom was like, hey, clean your room. And you just sit on the couch. And she's like, did you hear what I just said? <laughs> get up off the couch and go clean your room. In other words, my words that you hear should move you to do something. That's the picture of hearing that we see in the scriptures. And this is especially strange in our culture that sort of exalts knowing above doing. Um, Knowing the right thing, believing the right thing is paramount. Acting is sometimes irrelevant. This goes way back to kind of the Enlightenment era of the 1700s, which is kind of the age of reason. Knowing things is, is the way to go. Um, acting or doing in the world isn't quite as important. This is why we get so many people on Facebook arguing about these uh, lofty things in our culture. This is how we need to do this. This is how we need to care for the poor. This is how our government needs to function with this. And it's like, all that's good, but are we actually doing things? Are we actually caring for the poor in the world? You can see how, like both are important, but you can see how we begin to exalt um, believing or knowing the right thing instead of actually living and doing uh, the things that we believe in. So that's, that's the first piece of context. Hear, O Israel. Believe, do, obey, O Israel. That's what Moses is setting us up for. Let's keep going. The next part of that verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The text literally reads, God our God, God one. It's very simple. And a good translation of this text for us today would probably be the Lord is our God alone. The Lord is our God alone. That's really what this text is trying to say here. It's not trying to argue that God is, you know, a singular God as opposed to many gods. You know, in their culture, there's pantheism where you would worship lots of different gods. This is not trying to argue for monotheism here where God is singular. That's not what the text is really saying. It's not a statement of belief so much as it is uh, an oath of loyalty, that God alone is who we worship. that's, That's who we give our allegiance to. One commentator said, this is a description of the relationship between Yahweh, it's the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh and Israel. He alone is Israel's God and Israel is to recognize and worship him alone. So why is this important? I think hearing this in, in the way Moses intended and what Moses is trying to communicate here helps us see this is, this is a command not to believe something about God, uh, but a call for total allegiance to God, a call for a relationship, uh, a centering of God in our lives where he would be in view in everything that we do. So we're not just called to listen audibly and hear things like that, but we're called to, called to listen and respond as we place God alone at the center of our lives. That's how Moses is setting us up for what he's about to say. Then we get to the kind of the solution that he provides. Hey, the Lord is our God, he alone. So you shall love God. That's how he continues. So before we move on, let's talk about love for, for a few minutes. Um, This word love is something that we should understand pretty naturally if we're believers in Jesus. You know, why should we love God? That that makes a lot of sense to us. If If we have understood, man, God has sent Jesus to die for me so that I could have intimate relationship with God and be reconciled to God for all time. Like, we understand how love should be a response to that. The why of love isn't too difficult. 
But um, what does it really mean to love God? I think that's sometimes where I just kind of forget. Like, I, yes, I love God, but what, is, what does that mean? What is that calling me to? This begins like the Ten Commandments do. It's pretty interesting. You know, the Ten Commandments we looked at um, about a month ago, and there's all these you shalls. You know, you shall uh, love the Lord. You shall um, not make any idols in his image. You shall not murder. This is the same language here. You shall love God. It's understood to be a command. Uh, this is a little bit perplexing to me. It's, it was confusing to me when I started to think about this. Um, we think of love a lot of ways in our culture, but primarily love is a feeling, right? Love is uh, a feeling or, or, or uh, affection, emotional state of affection for someone or something. We throw around the word a lot. I love steak. I love Baja Burrito. I love fall weather. I love lamp. You know, it's a movie reference for you. Um, <laughs> And to think about someone commanding you to love something seems a little bit ridiculous, right? Like commanding me to have an emotional reaction to something is kind of ridiculous. So um, I think this word, because of the way that we use it in our culture and its oversaturation in our vocabulary, has lost the meaning that it meant here in this text. In our spiritual lives, this leads to what one, one guy, one pastor named Brian McLaren calls spiritual infatuation addicts. Spiritual infatuation addicts. Now, we know what this looks like in relationships, like in everyday life. You know, those, those friends that, you know, we all kind of know, we all knew that just date until the infatuation wears off. And then it's like, oh, got to break up and move on to the next person that I can feel this giddy infatuation love with, right? This, this happens spiritually for us. Uh, this would look like someone having to find the right combination of heart-swelling music, the right band setup, the right inspirational, tear-evoking message that, that provokes this type of emotional, spiritual euphoria that they, they, need, they need to have to connect with God. Now, certainly, God's presence is real and uh, tangible and palpable for us in our actual emotions. I really believe that the, the Spirit of God inhabits us uh, in our physical realities for a reason and speaks to us through those physical realities. But I also believe that uh, it's easy to let the feeling become all that matters, right? We're uh, responding to the Word of God in our lives through um, like changing some things, through uh, obeying God in some ways, or um, really giving ourselves to the community of God and serving and giving. Um, those things are just not in view uh, as much as it is the, the feeling of trying to connect with, with this God. McLaren said uh, in a book that I looked at this week, um, he said, I imagine God asking me, if you never felt the feeling again, would you keep worshiping me anyway? For me, not just for the feeling. That was challenging to me this week. And I think what he's doing there is not um, opposing an emotional love and experience of God, but expanding what our notion of love looks like. Uh, emotional affection and experience of God is not opposed to what he's saying. He's saying there's a deeper love that we love God with. So there's this more expansive thing. And so the Hebrew word for love always goes beyond emotions. The word can mean to act lovingly toward or to be loyal to or to express commitment to. Um, I found this interesting. It, it's the word that is used in ancient treaties when two opposing kings would uh, make a treaty or a covenant with one another. Um, in other words, the opposing king would act loyally toward or act in the good interest of that other king. So he's not saying, uh, I need to feel warm, fuzzy feelings whenever I think about this other king when we hang out. Like, that's not what, he's, what they're doing there. There's this other aspect of the Hebrew meaning for love that is this deep commitment to honor and to, and to commit oneself through acting uh, good toward that person. 
I think this helps shed light on why God can command us to love him. If taken through the American lens, how could God command a certain emotional response from us? Well, he didn't. That's, that's, the, that's the good thing. This command in Deuteronomy is less about passionate feelings and warm fuzzies than it is about complete loyalty and commitment and devotion to God. This is why Jesus can tell us to love our enemies. It doesn't mean that we feel like these like, warm, loving feelings emotionally towards people that have wounded us and hurt us or that we deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, this is just such a great person. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying there's an action, there's a loving kindness, a, a goodwill that allows us to act lovingly towards those people in a way that emotions can often then follow. So I don't think uh, emotions are, are bad or, or, or a negative part of this equation. I think it's just that emotions come afterward. When God's people experience his generous care, when they experience his loving kindness, his mercy and his grace in light of their sinfulness, and his answers to prayer, that's when the emotions, the, the affections begin to well up towards God. So if we're to love God in that way, with a love that goes uh, beyond just our emotional response and is this deep commitment, this loyalty, this um, honoring of the co- covenant that we've made with God, what, what does that look like? Moses tells us to, to do this with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, or our heart and soul and, and, and might. So let's talk about these three words for a moment. Uh, the interesting thing, I think, about this part of the text is that we often use it to separate our lives into different uh, compartments and say, okay, so how do I love God with my heart and, like, my emotions? How do I love God with my soul? What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like, how do I love God with my might? Like, I need to, like, work out and love God, like, pumping iron. You know, like, what, what does it mean? To, and we separate our lives and try and come up with these lists about how to love God in these ways. When we do that, we typically only do it through our modern lenses about what those words mean for us. So let's think about what these words actually mean here. Um, The word heart for the Hebrews didn't mean just your emotions. The heart included your mind and your thoughts. It was the center for all your inner life. Ancient cultures thought the heart was the center for intelligence because it was the only moving organ in your body that would beat. You know, there's this deep inner life that the heart describes. The word soul didn't just mean spirit. Um, Soul in this context meant all of your life meaning with every moment of your life. This would contrast with my temptation to... Check, check, there we go. Fit God in between hobbies and relationships and sports and and TV. And uh, it contrasts that type of thinking with uh, living with God in view in every single moment of our lives. This is what we sang earlier, that song, day and night, night and day, let incense rise. You know, that's a picture from the Old Testament when they would offer incense offerings to God that would go up continually as worship. Where all day and night, uh, there was worship occurring in their communities. That's the picture uh, of loving God with our soul, that our entire being would be devoted to God. And that last word, might, uh, is super interesting. So uh, later when Jesus quotes this text in the New Testament, we'll get to that in, in a moment, but Jesus talks about this, this text and when we see it in the New Testament, it's translated differently. Uh, we see four words, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So mind and strength are just one word in the original language. Um, and that word is, you know, might here. And we, we don't know how to translate it because it's, it's kind of confusing. Literally, in, in the original language, it means love God with all your very. It's like, very what? <laughs> like, what does that mean? But that's, that's literally what it means. Love God with all your very. It's kind of open-ended. Um, and one Hebrew scholar I read 
this week, uh, said it's like saying love God with all your oomph. It's like uh, this earnest, zealous, uh, felt, like muchness of who you are. Uh, and that's how we, tr- we translated might here in, in the New Testament. We're like, we don't know how to do this. Mind and strength. And that's kind of how, how we did that. But it's love God with all your very. And, and the goal was never to come up with separate ways to love God in these, in these different words. But um, that sort of represents a westernized view of separating who we are into, you know, body and spirit or these different things. Really what, what is happening here is Moses saying, this is the goal to love God with everything that you have. That's really what Moses is trying to get at here unrelenting love, unrelenting devotion for God in every phase of life. That God did not deliver you out of Egypt, out of the slavery of Egypt, so that you could just come out and and kind of walk off and and, and live however you want. But God uh, delivered you and saved you out of the oppression that you were in so that he could restore the purpose that you were created for, which was to dwell in intimacy and in love with the creator. That's what God intended. And that's, that's still God's desire for us today. And that's a really cool part about what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Unfortunately, the Israelites fail at this command over and over and over again. If you were to keep reading uh, in the scriptures, you'll just see uh, so many moments of not loving God with all of their heart and soul and might. They, they would just continue to fail at this. Yet God was always working towards the deliverance of his people so that he could dwell with them. So he, you know, he sends Jesus, born an Israelite, and Jesus just doubles down on this promise. You know, I mentioned this a moment ago, but there's a moment in the Gospels, which are the books that describe Jesus' life in the New Testament. And there's a moment where uh, in all four of these accounts, uh, a religious leader stands up in the middle of Jesus' teaching. It'd be like one of you standing up right now and asking me a question and in- interjecting. And they, they stand up and say, Jesus, what, what's the main point of living for God? What's the greatest commandment? How do you boil it down into one thing? And Jesus quotes this text from Deuteronomy and says, you know it. They, they all know this text. He says, you know what it is to live for God. It's to love God. The, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In other words, Jesus is showing us what it means uh, to truly live into the purpose we were designed for. Jesus continues in that text and adds on a second part and says, uh, when you love God in that way, love for people follows. The second commandment is just like the first one, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is telling us, hey, there's this uh, purpose you were created for to give unrelenting devotion to God. And that devotion to God causes a change in your interactions with people in the world, that you will love them in the same way. That's the purpose. Now, here's what stinks. I didn't do that this week very well. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I rarely hit home runs on this um, any of the time. Most of the time, I feel like I strike out. Um, it sounds really awesome, right? It's like, oh man, this is what I created for? Like, love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, not in the way that's like led by emotions, but led by choices and, and like with my life and I'm giving my obedience. And it sounds awesome. It's like, man, this is what I was created for. But we don't ever live into this perfectly. So it creates this tension, this gap between what our experience is, what we actually live like and what God is calling us to. And it's this daily tension of, okay, I know this is what God is asking me to do, but I rarely, if ever, do it in the way that he's asking me to. We are just like the Israelites. 
<laughs> We're going to fail at this over and over and over again. I was talking to my house church this past week, and I was just like, guys, I'm blowing this this week. Like, this is really bad. Like, I'm preaching on this text this week, and I'm not loving God well. I'm not loving people well. I just feel like over and over again, pride or, you know, some other thing will creep up in my heart and cause conflict and anger or frustration with someone. I was just like, man, this is, this is tough. I feel like I'm kind of blowing it. I don't know if you ever have those moments. And, and, but it's this reality that even if we have been saved by Christ, even if we have been experiencing the joy uh, of receiving salvation, in Jesus, there's still this reality of God growing us up and maturing us into becoming like Christ, uh, to having the image of, of Christ worked out in our lives. The good news is that um, we don't have to do this uh, alone uh, and that we don't have to do this in fear. That's the good news. So we don't have to do this alone because the Holy Spirit is with us. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus, God has literally put his spirit inside of you to give you the power necessary to grow in this. Romans 8 would say, the, the literal power that raised Jesus back to life lives in you. Like that's the, that's the power you have access to as a believer in Jesus. We're not alone in this. That, that should provide some hope, some forward momentum to walk forward in this. But we also don't have to do it in fear. Later in Romans 8, Jesus said, there's no one to condemn you. Like literally no one can point a finger of accusation toward you before God the Father because I've dealt with the sin. I've dealt with the punishment for that. So walk in freedom, walk in grace and walk in forgiveness. The Holy Spirit's with you. So I, I wanna think about how we sort of bring this down into our lives today. I, I thought about, you know, going through, okay, so what are the obstacles to this and walking through a bunch of different stuff? And, and I really felt the Holy Spirit kind of leading me to simplify how we think about this as we kind of close up this series, because a lot of what we've talked about in this series has been way up in the clouds. <laughs> it's been like, God is sovereign, God is faithful, he's provider. You know, sometimes it just causes us to worship. There's not always application. And I really wanted us to end this series with a, a laser focus on how we, how we uh, move forward out of it. You know, what is this whole story telling us? Uh, we were delivered to dwell, right? We're delivered out of our sin to dwell in the presence of God. And this is how we do it. We love God with everything that we have. So here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, um, I, want you, I, want to, I want you to write down three, three words that, that will help us kind of um, bring this down to the ground. Uh, those three words are hearing, obedience, and transformation. Hearing, obedience, and transformation. And uh, I want to talk about these three words as a process that will help us take a step today. Uh, if loving God with all your heart and soul and might is the top of a mountain, um, we're not trying to get to the summit today. Uh, what I want us to do is partner with the Holy Spirit in taking a step towards loving God with everything that we have. That, that's what I want us to do. And so I want you to think about this. The Holy Spirit, um, if you're a believer in Jesus, is very active in, in your life. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is drawing you towards Jesus. And there's this aspect of uh, growing into Christ-likeness, growing into being like Jesus, where we hear things from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that some would call this revelation or conviction, or there's different words we can apply to this, but there's this hearing that takes place. And then there's a step of obedience that we're usually called into. And then there's transformation as we grow into being like Christ. So there's hearing, there's obedience, and there's transformation. The only part we have to play in this whole formula, uh, 
if we could call it a formula, is obedience. That's the only thing that we do. We, we don't uh, receive, we don't like conjure up revelation on how to grow in Christ, and we don't do the transforming, but we are called to obey what God reveals to us. So he, here's how I want to structure kind of our, our response to God in light of this singular purpose, unrelenting devotion to God in every phase of our life. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit um, to, to, to help us with that first step, first of all, to, to hear. And here's the, here's the question that I think we can help guide us. Um, what is holding me back from loving God in this way? I think that's the guiding question that can help us uh, partner with the Holy Spirit to hear first. What is holding me back from loving God in this way? Is it material things? Is it success or prominence, relationships? You know, there's a lot of things that can hold us back, sin being a, a big one as well. But I, wanna, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. Because it's going to be different for every one of us. And I believe if we ask the Holy Spirit, hey, reveal to me how I can take a step in loving you more. I think the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to us. So I want to do that first, um, kind of during our timing of communion. You can sit with someone that you came with. You can, uh, you know, circle up your chairs. You can do that alone and kind of pray on your own as well. But I want you to ask that question. uh, What is holding me back from loving God in this way? Then I want you to ask the Holy Spirit a second question in light of maybe some of the things that you think of. Um, and, th- and that is this, um, what is the simple step of obedience that you want me to take? What is the simple step of obedience that you want me to take? So I'll tell you how this worked itself out for me this week. Um, I was in Panera Bread yesterday. Um, I was going to go to the well, but there's like some marketplace in the well and there's no seats. So I was super angry and I went to Panera Bread couldn't get my pour over coffee because I'm like super, so I was already super bummed, but you know, I was uh, posting up in Panera Bread in, in Brentwood and, and just kind of studying, doing some homework and uh, working on sermon. And I was trying to like lead the way, not just ask you guys to do this, but really say, okay, God, what, what is holding me back? Uh, don't let me get up here and preach this text tomorrow without having actually done some work on my own heart with you on this. And so here, here's what I felt the Holy Spirit immediately just reveal and point out to me about my life. Um, I have a disposition towards engaging with media. I have a very base disposition towards engaging with media uh, in all of my moments of free time and margin. So, you know, I prayed this prayer and immediately it was like, okay, sports or TV or social media or, you know, reading news even. There's this disposition in every moment that I have free time when I'm waiting or when I'm uh, in these places of transition, I immediately jump to my phone or I jump to engaging with sports or you know, whatever it is. And what that does, those things are not bad in and of themselves. But what, it, what it does in my life is quench me of the moments where God can speak into my situation, where I'm not listening actively throughout my life. It, it's, it, this was the it's kind of speaking into that aspect of loving God with my soul where, you know, th- there's not this um, everyday, day and night moment of like, God, what are you inviting me into in this moment? It, it, was, not a, it, it was not a God awareness in my life. So I, I began to be like, man, shoot, <laughs> that really sucks. Like, I don't really want to deal with this, but like, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you inviting me into? What is the, what is the step of obedience that you want me to take in light of what you have sort of revealed to me? And so here's, here's the step of obedience that I, I feel like I came to. Um, number one, um, I, I just felt like a simple step for me was to carry around a small notepad that I can put in my pocket. And whenever I have these moments where I'm, uh, you know, I, I have this moment where I'm 
feel like I need to engage with media, social media, TV, whatever it is, to first take out that notepad and ask God, okay, is there anything you want to speak into my life right now? Is there anything you want to lead me into? Is there any uh, step of obedience in my surroundings right now that, that I'm not aware of? And to engage with God in those moments, to, to expand my God awareness, um, and then out of that, see what happens, and then, then I'm more free to say, okay, you know, thank you, God, for whatever that, that thing you revealed to me. Um, I can either deal with that and, and walk in that, or it's like, okay, now I can freely engage with the world or media or whatever it is in a, in a place of God awareness. So, um, you know, that's off limits for you. You can't take that when I call dibs. Um, no, um, so, but that's not for you to then say, oh yeah, that makes sense for me too. Maybe that is, but I really want us to have courage in this place. It can be a lot of things. It can be deep secret sin that it's like, okay, that, that is obvious, holding me back from loving God with everything that I have. Maybe that's something you need to confess with someone today. Uh, maybe there's some other subtle areas where uh, the Holy Spirit will, will reveal to you areas that you can take steps of obedience. Uh, and I don't want us to, to lead into this, leave into this place of guilt and shame being like, man, I'm so far from this. That's not the point. There, there's no condemnation, no matter where you are on, on this spectrum. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you take a step today. Because this is the purpose we were created for. Uh, God has delivered us so that we can dwell with him. And this is the vehicle that will get us there, uh, loving God with everything that we have. Um, so I want to pray for us, and then we'll uh, spend some time in reflection and in prayer with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus, um, thank you that you are so good. Thank you that um, all of this is possible only because of you. Um, we, we cannot follow you without your help. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that uh, number one, that you would just make this life um, you would illuminate this life for what it is, which is true fulfillment, because it's what we were created for. Would you help us see the joy that comes when we follow you, when we give our all for you? Would you help us see the satisfaction that we find in life when we're free from the chains of the things that hold us back? Help us not to, to act like the Israelites and want to go back to Egypt and want to go back to uh, the former things that you delivered us out of, but help, help us to love you with all that we have because of what you have done. Help us to give you our all today as we worship. And I pray that you would just speak so clearly, Holy Spirit, into our lives over the next uh, few minutes and throughout the rest of the week as we process what it means for each of us in our individual lives and even us as a community for us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. So we take communion, Jesus, remind us of the sacrifice uh, that you uh, gave with your life so that we could enter into this time of reflection with you. And we could enter boldly, without fear, without shame, uh, without guilt. We could enter into your presence knowing that you love us and take steps with you towards growing in this purpose. We love you, God, very much. And we ask this for your beautiful name. Amen.